Hanukkah. 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 You're listening to Hanukkah Podcast, highlighting citizen Potawatomi Nation issues, members, and more. Paige Willett and Adesh Nakas, Borewadme Ndao. I'm your host, Paige Willett, CPN tribal member and employee. Don't forget to subscribe, share, and rate us. While stigma regarding utilizing therapy has decreased, many myths about it as a treatment and the experience itself remain. Dr. Julio Rojas is a licensed health service psychologist and licensed alcohol and drug counselor for Citizen Potawatomi Nation Behavioral Health Services. He has decades of experience helping clients overcome trauma, addictive disorders, substance abuse, and improve their quality of life with psychotherapy. And he believes discussing it as a tool is one of the best ways to tackle myths and stigma that sometimes prevent treatment. Dr. Rojas, thanks for joining me here on the podcast to talk about myths of therapy and successes and what people really think that goes on in a session. Well, thank you, Paige. I'm happy to be back. Let's talk about sort of what the trajectory of therapy looks like, just to give people a feeling sort of of an overall sense of healing with it. Therapy can take on any number of shapes and sizes. Some people do brief therapy, which would be considered, you know, something like eight sessions where we might talk about something very specific. The person might be stuck or challenged by a particular issue and they want some objective perspective on it. You can't always talk to family. You can't always uh, talk to friends. You can't always talk to your church family. So, So it helps to have someone sort of out of the loop that can really bring some expertise and provide some things to consider that the person maybe had not considered, you know, looking at their conflicts and their values and uh, things that are uh, usually friends and family won't be able to elicit in the person because they're not trained to ask particular questions about these conflicts. To me, it's a deeper conversation with a purpose. And so you can do that in eight sessions. I've had patients that do it in 24 sessions. I've had patients do it in 200 sessions. So it really runs the gamut. Therapy is a partnership. You're an expert in your life. You bring your experiences, you bring your wealth of knowledge, and then you invite an expert like myself into your life to sort of be a second pair of eyes and ears. But ultimately, the patient is the boss in terms of like how long we do this, when they think they've met their goals. I always say from my first meeting with a patient, we're working towards saying goodbye and good luck. But I think patients sometimes think they're going to be trapped into years of therapy, and that's that's simply not the case. Is one of the biggest things sort of maybe looking for patterns too? You know, we talked about someone uh, out of the loop. Does that often help finding patterns that maybe that person is not even recognizing? Absolutely. You might be struggling with relationships and, uh, you know, you're wondering why you can't make them work and what's going on. And sometimes uh, these patterns manifest in that we, we might date several people, but really it's the same person with a different name. And that's hard to see if you're in it, obviously, but someone with training and expertise might help illuminate some of the patterns that you're 
uh, having patterns both within your relationship with yourself and patterns between you and the other people in your life. So sometimes um, there's a little bit of sting in therapy because the truth hurts. And so sometimes you have to own that, you know, maybe what's going on has a lot to do with your perspective and some of the things you're doing. That's probably one of the things in therapy that surprise people is that they might be uh, confronted with a reality that stings, but it's true. But that's growth, and people accept that and learn from it and move on. You also mentioned having your family, your friends, your church, people to talk to. Um, is that sort of another obstacle to getting people even maybe to start therapy? Yeah, I mean, a lot of times folks will get the message that, well, you know, if you have your family and you have your friends, that, you know, you have all the support you need in those people. But there are things that, you know, you might need to talk about that um, may be a burden to a family member and they might worry about you unnecessarily because of something you've shared. And so uh, sometimes it's good to get someone who's more uh, objective and less emotionally involved. And certainly if that therapist feels it's important to bring family members into it, they'll recommend that. Uh, And there's some issues, quite frankly, that are complex in nature that you probably do want someone who's an expert. What is the difference between psychotherapists and psychiatrists that you've heard people sort of either get confused or overlap areas where yeah. they where they don't really? So a psychiatrist is a medical doctor who's gone on and done their residency in psychiatry, and they certainly uh, diagnose and treat uh, mental illness uh, with medicine. Some psychiatrists do psychotherapy. Uh, some psychiatrists I knew do mostly psychotherapy. Whereas psychotherapists could be uh, an individual who's uh, master's level trained, doctoral level trained, and we don't have medical training, so we don't prescribe medicines. We diagnose and we treat conditions, and we use a variety of systems of psychotherapy to do that. There's over 450 theories of psychotherapy. Uh, That's a lot. It would be impossible for a person to say that there's not one theory of psychotherapy that doesn't fit them. If you want to focus on your thinking, there's therapies for that. If you want to focus on your emotional functioning, there's therapies for that. If you want to change your behaviors, there's therapy for that. If you want to change the way you relate to yourself and other people, there's therapies for that. I mean, there's family therapy, there's group therapy. So with the internet, it's more possible to find therapists that have specific skill sets. Therapy isn't just one thing. But, but the list is lengthy, and if you've ever thought about therapy, this is a great time. There's telehealth now. You don't even need to leave your home. I mean, it's, it's never been so convenient. How do you feel about virtual therapy now that it's become such a big option, especially over the last couple of years with the pandemic? So I'm grateful for uh, telehealth as an option, uh, but I'm, I'm a little bit old at this. It's, uh, I'm over 50 and trained in the old ways. And so, you know, it's the equivalent of seeing a fire on a television and sitting next to a fire for me. Uh, it's, it's so important to be in that room and pick up on the energy. Uh, but uh, certainly I understand that we need other options for 
people who don't have that amount of time who have to work and who have to, you know, sneak therapy in on their lunch hour. And, uh, you know, they don't have the luxury of being off a half a day. So let's talk about the overall goals of psychotherapists when you're meeting with a client. Well, I'll tell you, for the first visit from the provider's perspective, you know, from my perspective, I always uh, think about what it has taken to get to that point, you know, the obstacles and the hurdles that the person has overcome just to sit in that chair for the next 55 minutes and talk about some of the more painful private aspects of their life, if that's what they're choosing to do that day, right? Uh, For the patient or the client, you know, I think what's important is, you know, a first session is sort of a meet and greet, Am I comfortable with this person? Do I feel safe with this person? Do I feel they're competent? Patients can really figure that out fairly quickly. So I would say to people, you know, what you're looking for in that first session is a sense that you're being heard, that you're being seen, that you're being valued for your strengths and the things that that you've been able to do uh, to be resilient in this life and in this world. And then at, by the end of it, hopefully that there's a reasonably articulated plan for improving things and not just one way, several ways, you know, when you go into psychotherapy, you hope things will get better, but sometimes it becomes uh, worse before it gets better. You know, you have to confront certain truths. Uh, you might have to talk about things that are painful that you've struggled to even think about, much less talk about. So sometimes there's there's a feeling worse before you feel better. That's not uncommon, but people don't usually think about that. Uh, so the, the fit between you and your provider is just critical. And if you don't walk away from that appointment feeling heard and valued and feeling like you had input and feeling like you were able to talk about what brought you there, that's usually not a good predictor for how that relationship's going to go. Now, you might give that person another opportunity and see if it's better the next time. But first impressions matter a lot when it comes to psychotherapy because it's built on rapport and trust and vulnerability. How are therapy sessions different from either talking to a loved one or, you know, just venting? Sometimes people just want to vent and it helps to have someone listen to you. Yeah. But how is going to a psychotherapist different. You know, in my mind, psychotherapy is conversation with a purpose. And so at some point, a good therapist might say, you know, Paige, what might be your part in this conflict you're having? (laughs) Now, that's not something usually a lay person is going to ask you, right? Ask you questions that help you explore more deeply why this is such a conflict for you what's going on within you that's certainly a lot different Uh, but in psychotherapy you can expect to explore your thought process the emotions that you're having what your behavior has been to contribute to whatever's going on and uh, what are you doing or not doing in your relationships with other people I know when I've been in therapy I've certainly never liked confrontation but I've grown from it you know we never want (laughs) to feel the sting of of having to get honest. But, you know, this mind of ours is so capable of seeing things the way that it wants to see it. And we need people that are are better trained than our loved ones to say, hey, is there another way to see this uh, other than the way you're choosing to see it? You know, usually we're afraid to hurt each other's feelings. Usually we're afraid to call each other out on things. You know, we don't want to rock the boat. Okay, we're talking about myths. So let's move on to um, things that are perpetuated in TV and film 
So, yeah, people see that stuff. I mean, they see Bob Newhart. They see, you know, Dr. Melfi on The Sopranos. They see, you know, just uh, examples abound of what it is in there. And I guess I'm blue collar because to me, it's just, you know, two people talking, having a conversation with a purpose in hopes of helping one of those people learn and grow and get unstuck from whatever is going on in their life. At least if you come see me, I'm not sitting there doodling or sketching or I don't even keep a notepad uh, because, you know, listening has always been my, my strength and, uh, and asking questions that get the person to think about what's happening in their lives and what needs to change either in their thinking or in the way they're acting. And yeah, but, uh, but I understand certainly that when you see some of those, uh, uh, descriptions of therapy. You know, we're weird ducks, right? But uh, I can tell you, I know a lot of therapists who are normal, whatever normal is, right? They're down to earth. They're, they have a servant's heart for helping people who are suffering. So a lot of times healers are, are healers because of something that has happened in their past or in their lives, and they want to alleviate pain and suffering in the world. You know, we're people like everybody else, and uh, we just happen to be blessed with a skill set to help people look more deeply into their mind and hearts and and examine the ways in which they might change. I don't know about you, Paige, but in the last two years, we've all had to do some change. (laughs) And all change is stressful, the good and the bad. So, uh, you know, we're called upon to adapt and be flexible and rely on our support systems and ask for help. Don't wait till it gets to be too overwhelming. Don't wait until you're in bed in the morning, you know, paralyzed by fear and anxiety or, or just uh, paralyzed by the weight of depression. Don't wait for that. Speaking of that and myths about going to therapy and waiting, you know, a lot of people have sort of a fear that, Other people are going to think they are weak or crazy or mentally ill for going to therapy. But I also think that it goes back to you talking about oncologists, cardiologists. People don't think they're weak for going and getting their heart checked out or going and getting help with a cancer diagnosis. You know, if I got a soapbox, it's this idea of how we stigmatize behavioral health disorders and so much so that. You know, I have to convince a physician to take an antidepressant. And why would I have to do that? Because this individual sees psychiatric medicine as different than medications for diabetes or medications for, you know. So it doesn't matter the level of education. It is so ingrained in us that, uh, that going to therapy is weakness, that taking medicine is weakness, that asking for help is weakness, that we're not of a strong temperament. And I think that's quite the opposite. I mean, asking for help, relying on your community. I mean, those are signs of strength. Those are signs of adapting and knowing yourself well enough to know that to move forward one more day, you've got to reach out to somebody and say, I need help or I need your ear or I need your counsel. And, uh, you know, for those of us that have been able to do that, I don't know one person that's, I don't talk to one person that's had therapy and says, I regret it. Not one. Now, there's somebody in your listening audience right now that probably wants to tell me their story of of that. But for most people, they find that whatever the length of therapy was, assuming they had a, a positive experience, that they were helped by that. 
And if you didn't have a positive experience, it's probably because it wasn't a good fit, you know, and that, that happens, you know, not everybody is a fit for everybody else. Uh, but that shouldn't prevent you from you know, continuing to, tr- you know, try uh, and find another therapist or get a referral from a friend to a good therapist. Most people know somebody who's been in therapy. Most people know somebody who, who uh, knows a therapist with a good reputation. I actually found that according to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, a survey in 2019 showed that nearly 10% of adults worked with a therapist. And I'm sure that has only gone up over the last few years with everybody dealing with hardships from the pandemic. You know, that's one of the upsides of uh, telehealth and being able to have that for a time insurance has waived co-pays for psychotherapy. So literally all the obstacles, uh, assuming you had insurance, were eliminated. That hasn't been historically true. So there's definitely been more of a demand for uh, therapy services, and, and that's a good thing. What have you found since you have been here and part of this health services program when it comes to behavioral health and therapy? Listen, I'm so uh, thrilled to be here. I've only been here seven months, so but just an amazing group of healthcare providers uh, who encourage psychotherapy, who encourage getting help for addictions. I mean, um, just the encouragement they give patients to seek out help. And the partnership that I'm able to have with them to say, hey, I'm seeing your patient. Would you mind encouraging treatment? And it's always sure and it's always happy to help. And so that's been such a powerful thing, because if I if I tell the patient, hey, I think you really need to get help. And their provider who they've maybe known for 20 years says, hey, this is a moment I think you really need to do this. I mean, the more providers we can get sort of giving the same messaging I think that helps patients feel more confident and feel more encouraged. So I've been thrilled to be here and have uh, colleagues both in behavioral health and uh, on the medical side, you know, with one voice telling people, hey, let's do this. It's hard to have good physical health if you don't have good mental health. And it's hard to have good mental health if you don't have the mind and body are connected. Good health is mental health and medical And it's also rewarding to see the patients rise up and respond and say, hey, I will go to treatment or I am willing to do this or I'm tired of living this way. I don't want to do it anymore. So we all need uh, as much encouragement as we can get. And so that's been really neat here at CPN. In your experience, you have been doing this for a long time over the course of your career. What are some of the biggest successes that you have seen with therapy? Oh, my goodness. I could do that for a full day. I I think, you know, from time to time, I'll get an email. And, you know, a, a young mother who had lost custody of her children, who had been incarcerated, who had basically given up all hope of a of a life uh, together with her family. I'll get an email with a Christmas uh, photo of the mom and the children and the family restored and reunited. And she's working and she's helping other people and she's, you know, giving back to the community. And I get those uh, at five years, 10 years. And all of those stories began 
because somebody at some point sat down with them and said, tell me what's going on. And they responded. And uh, it's hard to get better if we're not talking about it. For thousands of years, we've known that the way we heal is through our mouth and our fingertips. All of those stories, people getting their careers back, people going back into medicine who lost their medical license, people going back to, you know, being a dentist when they lost their dental license, all of those stories started in a therapy session of some kind. There's so many of them, Paige, uh, sometimes I wish they would all, every day, tell one person what it was like for them before and what it's like today. And if we could do that, if every person who's walked that journey from the darkest time of their life to the most joyful time, then, you know, I think more people would have hope about sitting down and opening up for the first time with a stranger. So I've heard many, many stories, but I've also heard many stories of tragedies and overdoses and parents losing their children too young. And so we've got work to do. Be encouraging of a person in terms of seeking help. So I'm blessed to be in a setting where the providers are interested in really getting more to the root of what's causing pain for the patients. Find CPN Behavioral Health Services online at cpn.news backslash bh or by phone at 405-214-5101. Hanukkah Podcast is produced and brought to you by Citizen Potawatomi Nation's Public Information Department. Our director is Jennifer Bell. Please share the show with your friends and family members. You can find CPN on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Potawatomi. Visit us on the web and find digital editions of the tribal newspaper at Potawatomi.org. That's P-O-T-A-W-A-T-O-M-I dot org. Thank you, friends. See you later.